Before we begin here this morning, um, you can turn to Matthew 7, but just before we get there, we're just going to do a prayer of dedication for the shoeboxes. Uh, how many were here on Thursday night? And how many had the most fun you've ever had in your life? That's correct. It was, it was so fun. It was so encouraging. Uh, next year, we're going to do the same. And if you are able to, man, you should come. It is a, a wonderful time. But, but I also want to thank those of you who weren't able to come but still brought a box or dropped off a box. That's huge, and we're, we're so grateful for it. I feel like it's pretty good that we have these, you know, this many shoe boxes sitting at the front here. Uh, thank you to those who purchased supplies and organized and, and made food. And man, I think there's something about our church. We just don't come together unless there's food. And so, Ryan, you're never allowed to leave. Uh, just so you know. Uh, we're just going to pray a blessing on the boxes as they go. Um, there's, a, there's a few people here who have had the opportunity to kind of be part of this. Uh, Shayla and Carly and Sid have all gotten to go and to actually deliver boxes. And if you want to talk with them about it, I know it's an incredible experience, a very unique one. And, uh, and we don't know where in the world these are going to. Um, but God does. And so we just want to lift that up. Uh, to him, pray a blessing on us. So if you'd stand with me, and we'll just pray a blessing over these. Uh, God, thank you for Operation Christmas Child, and thank you for all those who are involved in this organization and their desire to show children all over the world that they are loved. Not only are they loved by the individuals that are packing a shoebox and sending that off to them, but far more importantly, they are loved by you, the creator of all things. And so, God, we pray for those who get the opportunity to go and share these boxes with the kids. We pray for the staff members of OCC that oversee the projects and, and how they get involved with their local churches and all those little aspects of it. And we just pray that many kids would know and understand your love for them. God, we just pray a blessing. We know that in today's world, there's all kinds of challenges with shipping, with the ways in which we can get these boxes to the places where they're needed most. And so we pray for your leading in all of those aspects, all of those details. We, we lift them up to your hands, knowing that you will take them and you will use them and you will give them to the right children in the right moment at the right time. And so God, would you just be with the whole process and thank you so much for each one here in our church who got together and was a part of this project. Would you bless them for their time, for their commitment, and for their love for you. Amen. Thank you. Please have a seat. All right, three and a half months ago, we began this uh, series through three chapters of the Bible. And uh, here we are, three and a half months later. And, and next week... Um, Ernie was actually wrong. If you want to send stuff to me Saturday night, that's okay, because I'm not leaving till after church. So that's okay. You can just bug me right up until after church is done. Um, but we're finishing this series this week, and then next week, the question was what to preach on, because the following week is Advent. And if you know me at all, topical sermons are my least favorite thing in the world. That's not quite true. But um, I really don't like doing it. And so I was like, man, how, what should I do for one week? And then Shayla reminded me something that I should have remembered is November is Adoption Awareness Month. And if you know our family, you know adoption is a big thing for us. And so next week, 
uh, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read through and we're going to look at the spiritual principle of adoption. And, and my goal and hope is that by the end of that service that you will know that you are loved and cared for and chosen by a God who has adopted you into his family. And my goal is not that when we finish that you'll all go out and adopt somebody, uh, though that would be a very good byproduct of it. So that's what next week is going to be. And then as we're away, the, the first week of Advent, Jim Houston will be here uh, to share with us. So let's pray real quick as we start, and then we'll, uh, we'll finish this up, these last few verses. God, as we open Scripture again and as we try to finish well these three chapters which are so vitally important to understand both who you are and what it means to be a Christian. So would you help us be clear about that? Would it make sense to us not only intellectually, but would we live this out in a practical way out of our love and devotion to you? Amen. All right, so like I just said in the prayer is, is I'm convinced five, six, and seven... Uh, I, I don't know how you can say this. Like, you can't say it's the most important section of Scripture because all of it is, is from God. But these three chapters are, I think, where Christians need to camp out for a long time. Wrestling through an understanding is this is God's picture for us of understanding who he is and what it means to be a Christian and how we are called to live and why we are called that way and that we are equipped to live that way. And so while we are all going to stumble and we're all going to fall, we're all going to make mistakes and sin is always going to be part of this world until the second coming of Christ. Even though those are all realities, as these chapters are pointing us towards, here's, here's what we're going to become more and more as we submit our lives to Christ. And so if you go back to the beginning of chapter 5 and look at the Beatitudes... And you remind yourself, is I am going to be somebody who is a peacemaker, somebody who is pure in heart, somebody who is merciful, somebody who hungers and thirsts for righteousness and so on. The, the more I follow Jesus, the more that's the type of person that I am going to become. And the last, as Jesus now closes this kind of three-chapter section on his sermon, is he's constantly been addressing our motives. But now, last week and this week, he's dealing with some warnings to us about are you actually following Jesus or do you think you're just following Jesus and you're fooling yourself? And so we're going to talk about that. And the warning that's given here in the first few verses of our text, starting at verse 21, is probably the most serious and most uncomfortable warning that we have in all of Scripture. And we're going to explore it. We're going to make sure that we're understanding it correctly within its context so that we don't mix it up and confuse it because this is essential for salvation and for our eternal destiny. And so as we finish this, uh, I want to read one quote that, that I came across in our elders meeting from a book by John Piper. And he asked it this way, and, and this sums up the Sermon on the Mount and really the Sermon on the Mount well, though he was not referencing it. He says this, Do you feel most loved by God because he makes much of you or because he frees you to enjoy making much of him forever. That's a really thought-provoking sentence. Is if we think that we're the center of the universe and that God exists solely to kind of answer our prayers in the way that we deem them uh, necessary or what we would think to be the right thing, then we have a very egotistical view of God and we've lost sight of the whole point of him. Is God is trying to show us who he is so that we would understand that everything the world has to, in comparison of God 
it is not worth it. It doesn't hold up. You may find temporary satisfaction. You may find uh, moments of joy, but you'll end with this sense of, of unfulfillment because God hasn't been in that. And so God's trying to show us through the person of Jesus that our sins are forgiven and that we can be in relationship with him and that there is nothing greater. And so the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is, if that is true in your life, then every person that you encounter, they should know that there's something different about you. The way that you think, the way that you live, the way that you talk, the way that you act, all of it should be different and it should be filtered through this lens. And, and this is what Jesus has been getting at, our motivations. Why do we do the things that we do? Now, I grew up in a, in a small Mennonite community in, in Manitoba that was very rule heavy. In fact, until I was graduated high school, it was a completely dry town. Alcohol was not allowed in town at all. I'm not that old, just for the record, if you start to think that. But that's the kind of environment that I grew up in. And so it was very easy to get pushed into the, the legalistic mindset of, of you follow Jesus so that you can go to heaven. And so you do the right thing so that God doesn't get angry with you. And motivation became a, a big stumbling point uh, for, for many people in my community because we had this idea, a misunderstanding of what it means to follow Jesus. So that's why we've spent all this time here, and that's why dealing with our own motivations is so important, and why reflecting on our own hearts and asking questions over and over becomes so important to us. So last week, Jesus gave us two warnings. This week, he's going to give us two more. Let's start verse 21, just the last few verses here to the end of the chapter. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. These two warnings here, are very serious, and, and, and we're going to touch on trying to understand them correctly in, in just a moment. But again, dealing with our motivations is, as I was thinking about these verses, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 came to mind, and Paul says this, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So Jesus last week talked about beware of false teachers. Here's how you will know who is a false teacher and who is not. And now he's talking about beware of false disciples. And the point there is not that we then look at everyone around us and we, and we go, oh, are they actually a Christian? Are they not a Christian? So we, we really open up their lives to try and, and, and pass judgment on that. That's not the point. And we talked about that a few weeks ago already. The point is that we would examine our own hearts to see, am I living in faith of Jesus Christ and am I living for him or am I living for myself? Last week, Jesus used an analogy of the path. 
there are only two options, your way or Jesus' way. And Jesus' way lives, uh, leads to eternity with him, but our own way leads to an eternity in hell. And that sounds bad, and we don't like to say those things. And e- even saying it in front of people makes me uncomfortable. Because I don't like the reality of that. But if we believe scriptures to be true, then we have to take seriously what Jesus is saying. Now, the, the good news in all of that is this. Is Jesus was unwilling that anyone would die in their sins apart from the chance of forgiveness for him. Because of his sacrifice for us on the cross. And so he spends these three and a half years in the kind of that we have of, of the gospels written to us, showing us here's, here's my love and my grace and my mercy, but also here's what it means to become a Christian. But sometimes when these verses get read, it gets muddy when it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father, that one is okay. We can understand that. But then the next one, it sounds like those ones did the will of the Father. They prophesied, they cast out demons, and they did many mighty works. And so it's kind of like, is Jesus contradicting himself and saying, the one who does the will of my Father, but, but not the will of my Father. And so many have been confused uh, about this passage and saying, well, well, can you even know if you're a Christian? Can you know if you're saved? See, here's the important thing about Scripture is we have to read it all. And the more we read it, the more we understand the whole part of it. This is a warning against people who have improper motivations and are not following Jesus for Jesus. They're following Jesus for what they can get out of it. And Jesus is trying to clarify that that doesn't work. And the rest of the New Testament does the same, but it also gives us the other side of this same coin, reminding us that you can have certainty that you're a Christian. If you have declared Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you read this, it shouldn't make you nervous or scared or going, Am I a Christian? You should know full well in your heart, I follow Jesus. So Paul writes it this way in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 to comfort us. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Jesus is not saying you can't know if you're in him. We know if we're in Jesus. The point is, as we already read, that we have to examine ourselves. Am I following Jesus or am I just trying to get what Jesus has to offer? And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. Just to clarify, Jesus is not saying that you're saved based on works. He's saying there's your works and there's God works, and they're two sides of the same coin that we have to wrap our minds around. And I'm going to read a few verses here just to get this point across, but this is something that whenever it ends up in Bible study, when we're going through, whether it's the book of James or whether it's uh, this section in Acts or in Ephesians that we're going to read in a few moments here, is we get stuck on this, like, oh, which is it? Is it this or this? And the answer is simply, yes. We just like to dichotomize everything. We like to take it apart and go, well, well, this is opposite of this, and Scripture's saying, no, it's not. They work hand in hand. So James, in James 2.14, asks this. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And he concludes in verse 17 by saying, so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? How, how useful is something that's dead? Well, I guess that's a different question depending on the context. In this context, dead is not very helpful. 
right? And then sometimes people will be like, well, Paul argues with that in Ephesians 2, which we're going to read in a minute, but Paul doesn't argue with that because in Acts chapter 26, verse 20, Paul says this, they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And so, yes, we have our work to do, but just so we are clear that it's not based on works, Paul clarifies to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So there's the two sides of the same coin. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. James talks about it. Is we cannot earn our way into heaven. There's not like 10 things that you can do, and if you do those 10 things that God will look down and go, man, like you you deserve to come into heaven. The scriptures are very clear. There's a default position that apart from Jesus Hell is the only place for us. And again, that sounds awful, but the rest of Scripture from the very beginning all the way to the end is the story showing that God is unwilling that we would not understand the truth of that and have a chance to turn towards Him in repentance. And then there becomes our acts, our works, our obedience. And so Jesus is saying, if you just claim that you're my follower, if you just claim that, you're, you're, that you love me, but your motivations are not correct, then you're not going to enter eternity. But that shouldn't be a warning to us to make us fear our own salvation. This should be a warning to us to remind us of the importance of coming to Jesus on his terms and not our own. We can't build conditions and say, God, I'll follow you if. Though, how many times have we done that? How many times, if we're growing up, have we kind of bartered with God and said, God, like, if if this happens, then, then I'll know, and I'll believe, and I'll follow you. One of my biggest pet peeves in Scripture, and I probably said this when I was younger and, and, and have changed my tune on this, and I'm just laying my cards on the table here, so, is the story of Gideon. And Gideon laying out the fleece for God and bartering with God. And so we've kind of adopted that in kind of Christianese language where we've been like, I haven't been sure if I'm supposed to do this or not, so I throw out a fleece to God and we act like that's a good thing. When the whole narrative of the story is showing Gideon's disbelief in God, his lack in trust and his refusal to just do what God said. The story is actually about Gideon not being faithful and God, despite his unfaithfulness, sorry, Gideon's unfaithfulness, that is, God still is faithful. And so we don't throw out a fleece. That, then we haven't learned from Gideon. We go, God, even though it doesn't make sense, or I'm not sure what to do, or I'm not sure if this, I, I'm, I'm going to follow after you and do what I believe you have called me to do and what is right. That's the deeds that we do, not because they bring us salvation, but because we want to honor God with the life that we live. So when we get to this, this difficulty of verse 22, there were people that prophesied in Jesus' name. They cast out demons in his name. They did mighty works in, in his name. Well, let me just say it this way. If that was true, then they would be followers of Jesus. But notice what Jesus says. Depart from me, I, I, I never knew you. So did they do it in Jesus' name? Because Jesus knows all that are his. And when we do something in the name of Jesus, 
We do it for him. Now, here's the thing, though, right, is you can say those words and not mean it. And this is, this is the key for us to understand. 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, verse 9, talks about the power that Satan and demons have and that they're going to come and do many false signs. And if we aren't careful as Christians, they might get attributed to God and we might get confused about this. Now, I want to read a quote to you from Craig Blomberg that I think is 100% true, but it sounds really bad. So just follow with me here on this and know that I'm going to clarify. I think he does as well, but we'll clarify more. He says this, it's interesting that prophecy, exorcisms, and miracles, or miraculous workings, rather, all all characterize charismatic activity, which has a tendency, by no means universal, to substitute enthusiasm and the spectacular for more unglamorous obedience in the midst of suffering. Now, he is not saying, nor am I saying, that if you grew up in a charismatic or a Pentecostal church, or, or maybe you still attend, and that's good and fine. I'm not just throwing them all under the bus and saying none of them know Jesus. And I don't think he is either. I think he's characterizing, generally speaking, charismatic activity in wanting something amazing rather than simply being obedient to what you know you're called to do. Matt Chandler once said it this way in a sermon I heard him say. He said, we're really, really bad at just doing what Scripture says. We want what's next. If God spoke to me and told me to do this, then I would do it. And his argument is, God already did. And it's written there for you to understand. Now, I'm not saying miraculous things are bad. Not at all. But just because it's a miracle, just because something amazing happens, just because a sign or a wonder is done, doesn't immediately assume that that means it's from God. And Scripture tells us that. And this is the problem where we now have to discern what is true and what is right and what is false and yet very powerful. We are called to be faithful regardless of how exciting and wonderful it is or whether it's very painful challenging. You know, Thursday night when everyone is here and we're packing shoeboxes and it's so fun and everyone's enjoying it and, and we're all doing something that's good and I hope for the right motives so that a, that a child somewhere in the world gets to hear the message of Jesus and, and it's wonderful. It's like, man, that's easy to follow Jesus then. And that's easy to surround ourselves and go, yeah, like we're encouraging each other and helping each other and, and, and this is good and we're going to pray together. All these things But when somebody dies that's close to us or somebody goes through a very difficult time or maybe you are at the doctor's office and you find out that you have an illness or disease, are we going to pray for miraculous healing so that we get better because clearly we think that's the point? Are we going to ask that God's will would be done regardless of whether it's what we want or not? Jesus' warning here is very simple. It's just very intense. In in the book of Acts, there's a story that illustrates this well. We're not going to read it. I'm just going to summarize it. There's a a man named Simon who's a magician. And the apostles come along with the power of the Holy Spirit. And while he can do signs and wonders, and Acts makes that very clear, the apostles can do stuff he can't do. They come and they heal people. The lame walk and all these things crazy miracles happen right in front of him and he sees it and, 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 and he wants that. But the way, it's, the, the way the narrative is written, it seems like he makes a genuine profession of faith in Jesus. 
And then the story kind of moves on, and then a little while later, we see him again. And we find that he's unable to do these miraculous things. And so he goes to Peter, and he says, Peter, I want to be able to do the things that you do. And he tries to give him money so that Peter would bestow on him these miraculous abilities. Peter calls him out on that, and he says, essentially, he says, you're not in this to follow Jesus. You're in this so that people can see you and go, wow, look at the miraculous things that you can do. Now, unfortunately, the story in in Acts there doesn't end very well, but it also ends a little bit ambiguous. Does he repent there in front of Peter and recognize that he's only in it for himself, or, or does he not? We're not sure. But the same question is posed to me and to you as well. Are we in this this life of following Jesus, are we in it so that others can see us or so that we get some kind of notoriety or importance or, or some kind of, wow, look at that person, look how good they are. And this goes back to the quote from Piper at the beginning. Are we following Jesus so that he can make much of us? Are we following Jesus so that through our lives we can make much of him, so that others see him? Jesus is basically saying it this way. This is a quote from James 1.22 where James sums up, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But Jesus' warning is one step further is, but watch your motives and make sure the reason that you're doing the things that you're doing are for his glory and not your own. I'm going to be really honest here for a minute. That's very hard because we all want credit for stuff. We all want to be known as, oh, the person who did that. And even sometimes when we're like, maybe you're on stage and you do something and people come to you and they're like, man, that was awesome. And you're like, no, 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 it wasn't me. It was God. Right? Like we can have that very, very fake humility. Or it's like, no, thank you. I do need that. I need that ego boost. Please come pump my tires. It's not the right motivation. Now, the problem is that God's given us talents and abilities, and sometimes they're actually really good, and we do something that is good, and and then we all of a sudden show our sin nature creeping in, going, now I want recognition for that. But why did you do it? I'm going to pick on Peyton for just a moment, because she said something great last week that you probably didn't even know how smart it was. She played piano for us during uh, communion. It's wonderful. And she finished at the end, and, and she came up to me and said something about, you know, like missed a note here or there, made a little mistake or something. And then you said you took solace in the fact that if anybody heard that, they, they, they weren't doing the right thing because they were supposed to be having a conversation between them and God. That's exactly right. And so this is, the, this is the great thing is you don't have to be perfect to come, you know, up on stage in church to lead worship or to do announcements. Me and Ernie can guarantee you we're not. <laughs> Maybe Ernie more so. No, I'm just kidding, Ernie, sorry. Um, (laughs) It's not true if you missed that online. Uh, We are all filled with sin nature, and that's just a reality. And so it's up to us then to go, I am not in this for me. I am in it for God. And so it takes a daily reflection of going, it doesn't matter what other people think in that sense. I don't need the credit. I don't need people to tell me how good I am at things because I'm serving Jesus and he alone is what gives me meaning and purpose and value. This is one of the reasons whenever Shayla and I do premarital counseling is this kind of idea enters into it real quick. 
is if you're not enough apart from your partner, you'll never be enough with them. And you're actually putting them in a place of going, well, I find meaning and purpose being married to that person. You're putting them in the place of God and they're going to fail. Because they can't be God for you. Now, I'm very thankful that I get to spend my life with Shayla and she has, you know, we hopefully as iron sharpens iron, we grow and we mature and we strengthen one another. But all under the authority of Jesus first. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at. That's what he's dealing with in his motives. Then he deals, or with our motives, pardon me. Then he deals with this very tangible metaphor. And I was hoping Randy Tarchuk would be here because I was going to pick on him, but I I knew he wasn't going to be here because he's at Lake Louise today. But this this construction kind of model, right? Some of you will read this and you're like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And some of you more like me will read this and be like, you can't build on the sand? Like that doesn't work? Maybe it's just me who doesn't know that. Jesus makes very clear, right? When you build and you build on a strong foundation, your structure is solid. But when you don't build on a strong foundation, it's going to fall apart. Now, I think we know that metaphor, but we lose sight of verse 25. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. Notice what it says. Does it say if the rain comes or if the floods come or if the wind blows? When these things happen, we'll find out where is our true motivation. Do we understand who Jesus is? And have we built our foundation there? Or are we building on our own abilities or skills or talents? Or maybe some other false gospel that we've chosen to believe? The storms of life are going to come. And and this is one of the reasons why every now and then we get talking about the prosperity gospel and the dangers of it. Because this, these verses go directly against that. Is, is if someone's told, if coming to Jesus gets you wealth and health and prosperity, yes, don't we all want that? Great, good, we'll go. But then what happens when the crisis happens? Well, this isn't what I signed up for. Jesus, didn't, Jesus wasn't supposed to bring me pain and hurt and suffering and disease and illness. He was only supposed to bring me money and fame and fortune. They didn't get that, and so they abandoned Christ. But the problem is they didn't abandon Jesus. They abandoned their view or their understanding of who Jesus was. And that's why these three chapters are so essential for us. Jesus tells us who he is. He reminds us of what life is going to bring. There will be hardship. There will be pain. There will be struggle because we live in a broken and fallen world, one. And because, two, we make some pretty horrible decisions sometimes. Now, we all think we make great decisions, but we all have hindsight, and we look back, and we go, how could I possibly have done or said, or, or how couldn't I see that? You know, hi, hindsight is always twenty twenty. We can always look back and see with greater clarity. We make mistakes, but we have to deal with those. And if we just expect that God will just come and rescue us from every problem, every difficulty, every struggle, then we have a, a genie for a God, and we don't have the God of the universe. So we learn, we study who is Jesus. We build our foundation on the rock. This is why the rock is for us is we have the word of God. We know what is true and what is right, and so we will study it. And as we study it, we will learn this is who Jesus is. And so when I build my house, I'm going to build properly on the rock so that when the storms come, so that when the wind comes, so that when the flood comes, my house will stand strong. That doesn't mean you won't have times of 
internal challenge. That's not to say that you won't question God and ask, why are you doing this? Why have you allowed this to happen? It means you won't abandon God when those things happen because you know that even if you can't understand it, he knows better than you do. And he knows better than I do. And so we trust in that. With those words, Jesus finishes the most well-known sermon ever recorded. But the response is very interesting. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. It's very interesting. This is why, whether it's Sunday morning or whether it's a Bible study or any kind of teaching moment that we have in the church here, is we do not just come here so that you can hear the opinions of very intelligent men and women. We come here to study the Word of God and to try and make clear what Jesus or other, the other writers of Scripture have said to us, because in His words, there's authority. Craig Keener writes it this way. He says, What astonished them so much about Jesus' teaching was not the use of his proverbs or parables or hyperboles or other standard pedagogic devices of his day. What astonished them was his claim to authority. Simply put, Jesus taught differently than everyone else because he was different than everybody else. Jesus didn't need to go to find some authority and reference that. He simply spoke truth because he is truth. So if you have, how many of you have a Bible where if Jesus' words are in red? If you have a Bible like that and you see red words, you got to pay even more attention. Because Jesus has authority. Now all of scripture has authority for certain, but what Jesus says is just, there's something unique about it that we should stop and we should listen. And it should take us three and a half months to study through three chapters of the Bible because there's so much in there for us to learn. In fact, if you were in some other churches, maybe it would have taken eight months. Or Mervyn, maybe it would have taken two or three weeks if you were in another one. <laughs> Just kidding. As we finish this, as we think about Jesus' authority and what it means to be a Christian, may we never stray far from these verses. May we think about them. When we are pursuing something, a new career or uh, a marriage or significant decisions in our lives, would we not just do the things that we want, but would we slow down and say, what would, what would I do if I was truly following and running after Jesus? And let's ask God for wisdom to show us what is the right thing that we can do. Let's check our motivations. Let's examine, as the first scripture we looked at said, let's examine our hearts and see, are we in the faith? Are we following Jesus? I've said it a few times, but I'm going to say this again as we close. These three chapters set a very high standard for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But it's not up to you to accomplish that. All you have to do is submit to the Holy Spirit and let him accomplish that in you. That's the great news. We just have to believe that it actually is true and then live and talk like we believe that. Let's pray. God, as we have spent these months in these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and, and, and spoke to us in that sense as well, 
would we submit our lives to you knowing that you are the creator of all things and you know what is right and good. And you know what is best for us even when we think we do. So would we choose to follow you and would we constantly be evaluating our motivations? That we would do things not to be seen by others, but that we would do them so that others see you. God, would you receive glory and honor from us? And would somehow, in some miraculous way, those that we encounter, would they see that and would they recognize that we live with a different ethos? And would they be attracted to that, not because of us, but because of you? And would they come to know you? You are the source of joy and meaning and hope. May we never forget that. May we never lose sight of that. God, thank you for each one who has come this morning. Thank you for their love for you, for their desire to learn more about Scripture. And as we go from here, would we be people that model the Sermon on the Mount to our friends, to our family, and to our coworkers. Go with us today now. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. Just a reminder, baby shower. Who's in charge? Upstairs. It is not down here. There are snacks down here if you want to be fed twice. No, is that not how that works? There's only one.